Well, as I turn the corner toward full-fledged senior adulthood, I'm only 60, I know. Uh, But full-fledged senior adulthood is defined by me as when I get every discount that's offered for seniors. And the number keeps moving on me. Uh, So I'm not quite there yet. I'm moving. I've gotten a few discounts here and there and had one person when I went up to get a ticket for a high school function say, well, do you want to be a senior? And I said, well, I am. She says, okay, then you get a discount. Like, okay, I'll take that. Uh, But as as I kind of move into this era of being around seniors a little bit more and appreciating a little bit more what that might mean, uh, I'm hearing the discussion more and more about hearing. Uh, the challenges of hearing, you know, and the various people in here, we have different kinds of challenges with hearing. I've discovered that as I've gotten older, that uh, listening to people in a really noisy restaurant gets harder than it was. I can still hear in quieter environments, but they're not. Now, they, okay, that's going to be my thing for the moment. We'll see what, what else happens. But, you know, the larger discussion that I hear out there among all ages is the challenges of listening listening to one another. I hear youth who say, I'm not listened to. I hear parents who say, I'm not listened to. I hear people in workplaces not listened to. And I realize there's a lot of challenge. It's one thing to hear and to work through the physical dynamics of, of how we can hear a little bit better, but then there's the listening part and what that means. So I thought, you know, I could do a little research on what studies are saying about listening and different things. And I thought, you know, Uh, As God always does when you're preparing for a sermon like this, he starts convicting you on some different things. And I, as soon as I started thinking about listening, I thought, ah, I'm not perfect at this either. So I thought of four different confessions that I want to make on listening that I think many of you can uh, relate to. And uh, also you might add a few to your own list. One of those is the uh, party listening where you're at a social function And, you know, pretend the person's directly in front of me and I'm engaged for a while and I'm really listening and nodding my head. And then I find myself kind of looking around to see who else is here that I should be talking to as well, you know, kind of networking. And as an extrovert, I'm, you know, kind of plagued with that temptation. So that's party listening. Then there's uh, then there's angry listening. Angry listening is when you are just looking, you're in the heat of the moment and you're just looking for a way to be offended. So you're just listening for something that you can do. That ticks me off. That makes me mad. I'm offended. Uh, And then there's the out of body listening. And this is where people have good intentions. They're telling you a story and it could go on. And I've done this too. Could go on and on and on. And you find yourself having kind of left the conversation for a moment. Have you ever had that? Yeah. Yeah. Where, and then you go, wait, I need to get back here and listen. Uh, so there's that. And then there's the listening to myself listening uh, thing. And that's where I'm, while I'm listening to somebody else, I'm already listening to me formulating my response. Oh, oh man, I've got a great story to tell you. And I'm already thinking about how I'm going to start it out. And, and meanwhile, I have not fully listened to them. Well, we do know, as we look at some of the research that's out there, that there are benefits of listening in a healthy way. And uh, these are five that Inc.com had come up with as they talked about people in business world and working together. Mutual trust is one of them. If you've ever been in the presence of somebody who is truly listening to you, 
What a gift that is, isn't it? You walk away and you go, wow, they really listened to me. And so there's that trust that what you're saying is being heard. And then there's productivity. Well, it's no secret if you're actually listening to other people, you can be more productive. You're listening to ideas that are good or bad, but you're, you're working with those ideas and you are able to be more productive. Then there's also cooler heads. And I thought about this one. I thought when I learn to listen to people and I'm not trying to figure out how I'm coming back or if I'm being confronted or I'm not trying to figure out, well, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong about this. I can have a cooler head if I'm just simply, well, I'd like it to be simply, but if I am just listening and I'm listening, we have cooler heads. People are taking a deep breath before they speak. Then, of course, it boosts confidence. When we're truly listening to people, we realize we have done a good work in respecting the individual and hearing what it is they have to say. And we have spelt, felt respect as well. Gives us a confidence that at the end of the day, I listened well today. And then finally, fewer mistakes. Man, no secret here, right? Uh, I will speak as a guy for a moment that guys tend to kind of fix things and we think we've got it figured out. So when we're given a list of instructions by somebody, could be spouse, it could be a doctor, it could be any number. We, we hear it for a little bit and we go, oh, I get it. I get it. And so our mind's already kind of tuned out and we get home and then we're asked by somebody else. So what did the doctor say? We find ourselves not remembering some of the details because we weren't really fully listening. And so there are fewer mistakes when we start to really listen today. Well, that is our segue into back into Ruth, the book of Ruth, where we have been landing for a while and we've been studying that book. And the title of our sermon this morning is Listen to Your Mama. And they well, wait a minute, it's Father's Day. Why listen to your mama? Well, this is a passage where we find Ruth listening to her mama-in-law. And today what we want to discover is that it's important not only to listen to our mama, but to listen to our papa and to listen to those who are older and wiser than us and more experienced than us. And we're going to learn from this chapter in Ruth five different ways we can listen and obey what God has for us through the people he has given to us. And so this this is for all ages throughout the morning in other services. We had some more children here and I said, listen up children. This is for you too. And youth for you too. And for the oldest adult in the room, it's for you too. It's for all of us. Let me summarize before we jump into Ruth three, for those of you who are just joining us, or it's been a couple of weeks ago and you might've forgotten where we were in Ruth. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech lived in the city of Bethlehem. They had two sons. Those sons had no names. According to Ruth, we don't know what their names were, but famine came to the land. There was not enough food and they ended up moving to Moab. They get to Moab and Elimelech, the dad, dies. But the sons grow up continually and then they got married and they each married Orpah and Ruth. And then both sons died. And so Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law. And we read in Ruth already that Naomi said, you two can go back home now. You're, sadly, your husbands are gone. I'm your mother-in-law. You must have other family with whom you want to live. And Orpah said, okay, 
And Ruth said, I want to go with you. And of course, she quoted, she said those words that we so often hear when we think, or we think of when we think of the book of Ruth. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. So Naomi said, okay, Ruth, come on. They went to Bethlehem. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. Ruth chapter 3. If you want to open your Bibles, you're welcome to, or we'll read right off of this. But we'll be referring to this chapter quite often through. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, kinsman being next to kin, family, extended family, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, Ruth said to her, all that you tell me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily. That's a fun word to say. Stealthily. And uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now though it is true that I am near kinsman. There is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning. If he will act as next of kin for you. Good. Let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you. Then as the Lord lives. I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And then he said, bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her back. And then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law who said, how did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, he gave me these six measures of barley For he said, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Come back next week to see what happens. (laughs) We have more to say. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book that reminds us of what it means to be faithful. Of what it means to hear your voice. And I pray that as we listen, um, as we are listening to the sermon, as I'm speaking and listening to what you are saying, 
that we would be good listeners, that we would be faithful to you. Thank you for what you're going to teach us in your name. Amen. So we are at the time of harvest. And every day Ruth is out in the fields working with the other woman at that time. And she brings home grain and she shares it with Naomi. And in those days, of course, marriages were arranged by the parents. And since there was no dad, then it was on Naomi to seek the security and the happiness for Ruth. And in the process, Naomi would also gain some of that security. And so as we think about this, this gives us our first step toward learning to obey. And that is learning to obey with hope. Now, good mentors want the best for us, don't they? When we have good mentors in our life, whether it be parents or coaches or professors or teachers or leaders of any kind, they do want the best for us. And I I think about how this comes out sometimes. I know as a parent way too many times I told my kids to be careful. There's nothing wrong with saying be careful. But when you think about it, uh, what what is the alternative to that? Uh, No, dad, I'm going to go be dangerous. Uh, And maybe they were. But I'm not sure what I was going to help by saying be careful because they were going to do what they were going to do. So, uh, so, but they knew I love them and I wanted the best for them, no matter how silly it sounded to them to drive safely or be careful uh, or all of those different things. Mentors want the best for us. And so the question, of course, that comes along with this is that are, do we trust those mentors, that they truly do have our best interest at heart. It's really easy to hear things that people say and they go, oh, well, they're just saying that. But they are saying it because they have our best interest at heart. Verses two to four, Naomi gives Ruth some instructions. And you have to understand that in this culture to Ruth, this would have sounded, are you kidding? You really want me to do this? Now, we never hear her say that. But she says, Naomi says to Ruth, identify Boaz, look for him on the threshing floor. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Wash and anoint yourself, put on your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, go to where he lies, uncover his feet and lie down. Well, this leads us into our second point about learning to obey and listen. That we need to learn to obey from the experience of another. And man, Ruth's response here, as soon as Naomi did this whole thing, which would have been risky and very different from what Ruth had ever expected. She says, all that you tell me, I will do. I've thought about in my long career working with youth and children, uh, those of you who are teachers or if you've ever led any kind of a group, how great would it be if you gave some instructions and everybody with one voice said in response, All that you tell me, I will do. You would just like, ah, you know. Finally, it got through. So Ruth, now we know Ruth wasn't perfect, but boy, she's looking pretty good in this book at this point. The ways that she is listening. And we who are younger than somebody else can always learn from their experience. And notice I said we. You know, we're never, we're never too old to learn. And Naomi knew the strategy She had observed and she passed it along. And so children can learn from older children. Youth can learn from older youth and adults. 
middle, young and middle and senior adults. You can learn from the experience of older adults. We have so much we can learn. I remember reading uh, Billy Graham's book, uh, Coming Home or something like that. I remember he's, you know, sick and in his 90s. And he was saying, I still have a work I can do. I can still learn from the nurses who attend me and the doctors. And I thought, Billy Graham, you're in your mid 90s. And wow, you're still learning. God calls us to learn all of our life. And so we must ask, as we think about learning to obey from the experience of others, who are those people in your life, no matter how old you are in this room, who you can learn from their experience still, still. And are you ready to say all that you tell me I'm ready to do? So as we move on through the passage, we get to threshing and winnowing. This is not something that we commonly talk about or do. But the threshing floor, for those of you who can see this a little bit better, is not really your kind of standard floor. I I would have thought, I was always thinking of a room with a floor. The threshing floor was actually outside. It was a big round area, as you can see. And people were were either beating the the grain or the oxen were going around just kind of crunching it up. And they were taking care of it that way. There were no women allowed on the threshing floor. At that point, it was not open to them. And then winnowing happened. And that was throwing up the grain into the air and letting the wind blow off those lightweight weeds and other chaff that was about there. And in fact, they sometimes strategically waited till about three in the afternoon and they could get the ocean breeze off the Mediterranean and let that help them out. And so then they would have this nice, clean pile of grain. And that's where Boaz planted himself because he's a don't be touching my pile of grain. We worked hard. We threshed and we winnowed and it's ready. So he was sleeping by that pile of grain to guard it until they could move it on. And so this was a community event, but women were not usually a part of those festivities. And so Ruth followed through on the strategy that Naomi had given her, even though it seemed counterintuitive to her. Uh, And Ruth covering herself was a request for protection. When she asked Boaz to cover her with the blanket, that was a request for protection and a request for marriage. So this took a lot of boldness. And in fact, as I was studying a little bit deeper, the corners of those blankets were often called, or the corner of a cloak was often called a wing. And so she was asking to be covered by the wing. And we think about throughout the Psalms and some other parts of the Bible where it talks about, and God will spread his wings and cover us. And of course, that could apply to birds. But it also, I think the image was twofold, talking about how Boaz was being like God and how he covers and protects us with his wings. And so we get to our next point, learning to obey courageously. Ruth had to do that. And Ruth could have easily dismissed Naomi's advice. She could have said, oh, come on. Really? Come on, dad. Come on, mom. Big sibling, teacher, boss. And granted, none of these people are perfect. None of us are. But most of the time, they really do know what they're talking about. And that's already been expressed in 
I thought then some of you are already preaching the sermon. You're, you're already on it. She followed it and Boaz noticed. He said, this last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. And in this passage, the loyalty, the faithfulness, the kindness is hesed. That's the Hebrew that we had mentioned before. So we're called here to not easily dismiss those who are older and likely wiser. I'm sure when I was young in ministry, it was easy for me to perhaps dismiss some of the wisdom that I was given. I'm not perfect. And, but I had other mentors who said, no, listen, there's some good stuff here. And, you know, of course, this ease most easily happens in our family, right? With those, those whom we are most comfortable, it's easy for us to tune them out. But being courageous and listening to stuff, even if we don't think it's wise, might be what God is calling us to do and being courageous. So we look to him. And so are we willing to find mentors and then let them speak into our lives? Verse 14, she takes the advice of Boaz and she steals out quietly in the morning so she doesn't create a controversy. And this takes us, of course, into our next step, and that's learning to obey safely. Now, of course, if I was asked you to show a show of hands of how many of you have done something stupid or risky in your life, all of our hands would go up at some point, especially when we were younger, right? When you're young and your bones are strong and you're nimble and you recover from injuries so quickly, uh, it's really easy to kind of jump out there on the edge. Naomi wanted to make sure, said to Ruth, now this is an interesting thing, right? Ruth, I'm asking you to do something that's kind of risky, but we're going to be careful about it too. And you're going to get up really early in the morning and Boaz said the same thing and, and get out of there. There's no reason to push that envelope. And then Naomi goes on to say, we're going to have to have patience in this process that Boaz could be trusted and that he would redeem her. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And that's our final step of listening and learning to obey patiently. Wow. One of the harder ones, huh? Learning to obey patiently. When somebody asks us to do something and says, wait, just keep working, have patience. That's hard. But Naomi knew that Boaz was a next of kin, but he wasn't the closest one. And so we have to see how this plays out. And the kinsman redeemer, as that's called often in other passages, their role, their job description was one, to redeem family property that has changed ownership and or two, marry a childless widow to raise up children uh, in her deceased husband's name. And so Naomi said to Ruth, wait, let's see how this works out. And it will work out. And the word wait in the Bible is mentioned over a hundred times. God wants us to wait. And that's hard, but it's great when we have a community of other people who say, I know you want to do something right now. Just wait. Listen to the mentors. Well, so what? You know, God has wonderfully provided mentors in all of our lives. 100% of us have somebody out there who has mentored us. Some cases it's been family or for others, it's been coaches, teachers, professors, supervisors, older people in our vocation, or just good old, more experienced, 
wiser people we know. Our church leadership has been working on a strategic plan for a while. Now we're in the midst of that. And one of our initiatives is that we would be a church that empowers all people to mentor and support the church body. And as I was thinking about this this week, I almost didn't want to use this uh, to talk about it in this way because I kept thinking, okay, God, I'm not trying to wedge in a strategic initiative of this church into the scripture. But because I first read, wow, she was really listening. And Naomi was a mentor in her life. And I thought, well, that's nice. God, thanks. Hey, that works because I've been working a lot on this. And God has called us, of course, to be a sending church. We talk about that a lot, that he sends us into the local community to love other people, to bring justice, to love globally and to care for people. He's called us to be a teaching church where we want to raise up leaders and influencers in our in our society and in our world, and our community. And God is calling us to be a mentoring church. And we see a lot of that happening, but God is calling us to be even more intentional with that and to love and to care for his people in that way. And he's calling us to understand that we all need to continue to seek a mentor, no matter what our age, and that we all need to continue to look for how we can mentor. So here's the deal. I love it that I can think about a kindergartner who could actually mentor a preschooler just through simple acts of kindness. I love it that I can think of how an older child can mentor. And you get the where we were all going with this. But here's one of the things I want to say to those of us who are 60 and beyond. Uh, I sit with a group of youth leaders once a month from all over the community. There's 10 to 15 of those. I could be, I'm the age I could be their dad, all of them. And so I could easily feel very irrelevant. I'm this old guy, youth worker. And there's moments where I do. And then I realize, no, no, still have something to give. And so I want to say to all of you who are older, you are still relevant as you seek to mentor people. Younger people need to hear your story and to know that you have something to offer. But even us as older people, who is that person that's even older than I am that can do that? One of those mentors is a 75-year-old retired youth pastor who was at St. Raphael's for 25 years, still takes me to lunch. Another one of those is Denny, who's sitting in here, took a chance on a 25-year-old and and loved me and cared for me and mentored me in profound ways in ministry. Thank you, Denny. It's a, I didn't plan that. It was straight there. You're there. But when we start looking and we start seeing, God will show us the ways that we can be involved. And the final thing I want to leave with you is this. That uh, as I oversee the youth and the children's ministries, we're often thinking in span of ratios. What is a healthy ratio of an adult to the number of children or youth? And, you know, it hovers somewhere about one to five or one to seven, depending on the age. But research is showing us that really we need to flip-flop that. If we're going to think about a sustainable, healthy, growing faith in the life of a child, a young person, even an adult, that we need to think about who are the five people that are investing in the life of this one person. Because we need that variety. 
And so God has called me, and I hope he's calling you to start thinking about who have been some of your five over the years and who are some of those who are still left. I mean, those of us who are older may not have as enough people to call five, but we've had five over the years. And I, it's really caused me to think about that. And so I pray that you will, as you're inspired by Ruth's listening and obeying, that you would let God speak to the people he's placed in your life and that you would also, in turn, look for the people that he wants to place in the lives of others. Let's take a few moments and let the Lord speak to us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.